all these industry buzzwords that really mean nothing. Uh, but everybody's saying that, like, we're all talking about our bandwidth. I don't really have the bandwidth for that right now. When, when all you, you know, I don't have the time for that. Just say time. Why are you telling me you don't have the bandwidth? <laughs> because it's not my wheelhouse to say time. Yeah. I hate that one. Cause I'm like, I, nobody has a wheelhouse. That's a biker thing. <clears throat> That's a oh, biker so thing. Your... I always oh. thought it was like a, a farming, uh, um, like I always pictured, um, grain and like the wheels that the house where it would contain the wheels that would churn the grain or whatever. But the only thing that's going to be in that house is green. So of course, no, the wheels, also the wheels. That's not, that's my wheelhouse. Yeah. So can, can, can you do a cannonball into the pool or not? That's not in my wheelhouse. Good thing. That would ruin the grain. Hey everyone ever and welcome to 20th Century Popcast, the show where we try to understand our present by living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins. And I'm Bob Canning. Tim, hello. Tim. Hello, Bob. Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome to the audience. Um, it's June. It's summertime. Although you couldn't tell here anyways. I don't know what it's like on the West Coast, but out here on the East Coast, all we're doing is talking about how the weather isn't summery. Oh, well, it's quite... It's quite hot here. It's about 80-something today, I think. Well, this is good. People like this. The 80s and all. Um, But welcome back to the show. Uh, We'll get back to uh, meteorological brouhaha in just a moment. Last week, Bob, last week we had a pretty musical episode, thematically speaking. We were talking about some TV themes. Yeah, and the, the Perfect Strangers theme has been stuck in my head all week. It has been trending across the globe, and I'm very sorry for that. It is very difficult to get out of the head, and what's more frustrating, and I think I even said this on the episode, is it's very frustrating not to feel empowered by it, and I find that very embarrassing, <laughs> that it almost moves me to tears, that I do stand there, maybe not with a newspaper because I'm not writing articles, but but holding maybe you know an issue of a Steven Universe comic book and kind of looking out across to some body of water thinking like, yeah, I made it to America yeah. or birth. On the wings of your dreams, Tim. No, it's powerful stuff. Um, uh, Songs are powerful. Musicians are powerful. And and actually, to segue quickly into Wiki Tweaks, maybe, because I've got a a bit of a a musical tweak to do. Uh, For those of you who maybe don't listen every week or never listened before or won't listen after this, uh, what is Wiki Tweaks, Bob? What is that segment? Uh, Wiki Tweaks, we take a look back at previous uh, podcasts and uh, clarify any statements that we may have made that were possibly misunderstood or incorrect or incomplete um or we maybe had a question for ourselves or the audience and we've now found the answers perhaps great yeah that's a yeah i think that's exact it's a way of checking up on ourselves what i wanted to uh tweak if i could go first is um I got a couple of musical artists references wrong last week, and I feel a little bad. I should probably fix that. First of all, I made reference to a singer who performed with Jennifer Warnes, and I believe that I pronounced the name as Joe Cockner. Joe Cockner is not a musician that I know of, not someone that I'm familiar with. Joe Cocker, I think a lot of us will know from the John Belushi impression where he falls <laughs> down on the stage and twitches around a bit. I think he also um, covers uh, a little help from my friend by the Beatles. But my apologies, not that he's listening because he's dead, but um, sometimes I just twist uh, letters around in my mouth. So Joe Cocker became a character that no one knew. Um, but the, the, the tweak that I'm, I'm more embarrassed about, the one that I actually was attributing the talented success of the song Secret of My Success, I, I, I applied it to the wrong band. If, if you're familiar with the 80s and you're probably familiar with the concept of The Weeknd and more so working for it. And there was a, a band in the 80s called Loverboy, and that was kind of their big radio hit. Everybody's working for The Weeknd. Everybody's sure. got their shirt sleeves cut off and a headband, and they're jumping up and down doing splits in the air. And that's the band Loverboy. Who wouldn't know Loverboy? Well, um, I knew them a little too well as... I claim that the theme song to another 80s stable, The Secret of My Success, which was a Michael J. Fox uh, cinematic vehicle, the, the, the pretty driving theme song that I believe last week when we were talking about the Perfect Strangers theme, I compared it to that song and I claimed that Loverboy was the band that performed it. It turns out I was wrong. Oh. My apologies. Who, who, who wrote it? 
Well, it's probably a band that shares the uh, the billing on whatever 80s cruise ship Loverboy is currently performing on. <laughs> Night Ranger would be ah. that band. They might sing Sister Christian. I'll have to check that for next week. But, um, yeah, they sang Secret of My Success. They're a little more, I don't know, they seemed a little grittier than Loverboy. So my apologies to both fans of both of those bands who may have been listening. Thank you for clarifying that, Tim. I appreciate of that. Of course. Uh, I got a couple of things here, too. Um, so the themes we talked about last week, uh, Perfect Strangers theme, Growing Pains theme, and Who's the Boss, I was able to discover that the Growing Pains theme did make a billboard chart. It Who did? The Adult Contemporary Chart in 1989. It. it went to number seven on the Adult Contemporary Charts. In 1989, which is four years after the show premiered, which I think is, is interesting. It, and I think that's when, I think as the show went on, different vocalists sang it. There's a performer named Dusty Springfield, and I think uh, she may have taken over the vocals. Oh, perhaps that's the one that uh, that charted then, if they, yeah. they had a, a new one. Um, the first number one theme song to hit uh, the Billboard, well, there's a couple here. There's the, the Hot Country First number one on the Hot Country Billboard chart was the Beverly Hillbillies theme in 1963. On the, on the radio, yeah. wow. Um, and the first... There weren't the Beatles around? They were probably around the next year. <laughs> the first one to actually hit the Hot 100, which is the overall, um, was... You know, this is insane. I never would have even th- thought of this, but it was the theme from SWAT. Oh, really? Hit, hit number Where one on the Hot... Uh, Hot 100 in 1975 by a band called Rhythm Heritage. It's sort of a disco-y dance uh, instrumental. Sure. Um, huh. and, and Rhythm Heritage uh, hit the Hot 100 again. They only got to number 93, but they hit the Hot 100 again in 1977 with the theme to Starsky and Hutch. Wow. So theme songs are big. Uh, I, I bet there's a lot of records. Are 45, I wonder if there are 45s that would have these on them or if people had full albums. It, uh, it's kind of faded away. After the 60s and 70s, there were a few in the 80s, not a lot in the 90s, and nothing Do instrumental really songs make it to the radio anymore? I feel like that's something that, after the 80s, I didn't really hear many instrumentals. Because yeah, no, you would hear the actual F theme, Miami Vice theme, stuff like that. Yeah, Miami Vice charted. Um, and then one more uh, cool thing I thought, uh, Mike Post. Do you know the name Mike Post? He's written TV themes. I'm trying to think why. In the 80s, I think his name would show up a lot. Yeah, he's written loads of TV themes. Uh, he is, he charted three times. Um, <laughs> Sorry. The, Rock, the Rockford Files hit number 10. Um, shoot, where's the other one? Hill Street Blues hit number 10. And did he write the Night Court theme? Um, I don't think he did, but we'll look that up. Uh, and Magnum P.I. He also did Magnum P.I. That charted. I remember that well. theme. So that there was a career. I hope there still is. I mean, I, I, knew, I recognize a couple names and credits now when I watch shows. Again, these are shows from five or six years ago. But it's nice that TV themes per, had their presence. It's you know we weren't off and dedicating an entire episode to them. They are impactive. Yeah. Thanks for checking those out, Bob. That that qualifies as real research. Uh, we like the like the paperwork you put through. We like the time, and while we don't pay an hour hourly salary, it has been duly noted that you went above and beyond to figure out who composed uh, the theme from SWAT. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Oh, that feels good. I think I'll do I think I'll do more research in the future. That would be great. I, you know who would appreciate that? The show. <laughs> yeah. I, as I was doing it, I thought, this is the kind of thing we should do before the show so we have the information in the episode. Oh, for like topics? Of course. Yeah. A lot of times we'll do it after the show and I find a lot of those facts don't make it in. But that was Wiki Tweaks, a little longer than we wanted it to be, but still present. Um, if you're just joining us because you used the show notes and skipped ahead, uh, Bob, what are we talking about today? What is today's topic? Because I'm rather excited to hear your thoughts yeah, on it. Yeah, today we are we are leaving the, the world of movies, we're leaving the world of television, and we're ignoring music. We're going to the funny papers, Tim. We're looking at comics, and specifically yeah. we're looking at Bloom County. Great reading, first of all. Good. You know, let's hear it for reading, something we never talk no, about on the show. Yeah. But yeah, Bloom County it was a daily comic strip that ran from December 8th, 1980 to August 6th, 1989, which, I mean, that's a it's a pretty good detail of the 1980s. That covers 
pretty much the 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 the, the breath of it. Um, the author's the, the name, of course, of is it. the breath of it. Yeah, how is that pronounced? I know we've discussed this actually on the show before. The artist and author of the strip's name is Berkeley Breathed. Yeah, I've always pronounced it Breathed. Yes. Okay. Um, very talented political author, political satirist, I guess you would say. Yes. Um, Bloom County itself won a Pulitzer Prize for editorial strip in 1987, and at its height, probably in the late 80s, in 88 and 89, right before uh, he brought it to a close, it had 40 million readers on a daily basis in about 1,200 newspapers. That's and that's a lot, when you really think about those numbers now. I mean. That many people probably don't even read newspapers anymore. Yeah, that's, that's a large number staggering. of people turning out um, day to day for this comic strip. But uh, for yourself, how would you describe Bloom County? What is this as a comic strip? Uh, how would I describe? Well, um, well, first I want to say of of all those people that that were reading the the comic at its height, mm-hmm. I was not one of them. You weren't reading Bloom County when it was published? I was not. Um, I, it's a good thing WikiTweaks went long then. You, you, you're not familiar with Bloom County? Oh, I'm very familiar with Bloom County. But uh, I came to it. My my local newspaper didn't have Bloom County. Um, my, really? Yeah, my local newspaper was, um, I don't want to say it was conservative, but it wasn't It wasn't going to have this kind of, of comic uh, in its paper where it's got uh, a cast of characters. It takes on political topics and social topics um, in a in a biting and edgy kind of way. Uh, my newspaper. I find this bizarre. You you grew up in Oneida, New York, small town in New York, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, so what what was in? There? Were there political strips in there? Did you have a shoe or a Doonesbury in your comics? No, we did not. We had we had Peanuts, we had mm-hmm. High and Lois, we had Beetle Bailey. Um, I did, I don't even think we had Garfield. We didn't have Garfield. <laughs> well, there, there was a time when the biting political <laughs> politicos commentary of Nermal was uh, the night to night boiler topic of conversation. <laughs> did you have something like the Far Side? Would you have at least grown up with that, um, or was I, it really I, straightforward? It didn't have the Far Side either. I would see the Far Side. But it's just old newspapers that were being dropped off into your house, and your mom was placing them out as a real one. I mean, this just sounds like old strips. It, what it was. New it was. was in it there? was lots of old strips. There really wasn't anything new in my local hometown. Now, I would occasionally, I'd have. Uh, I I got into the Far Side because we would get the. The larger newspaper, so the nearby city was Syracuse, so we'd get the Syracuse paper on Sundays, and so you'd have the color funnies, uh, and I would see the far side there, and I would see shoe there, and there was probably Bloom County in there, but I didn't notice it at the time. Right. This is blowing my mind because I, I I always think of Bob and I have known each other for a long time and we'll get into why I think this. But I've always just thought of Bloom County as being your comic strip more than anything else. Did you have Calvin and Hobbes in your uh, paper? No, didn't have Calvin and Hobbes in the paper either. What the fuck? You, it sounds like you grew up in the Bloom County. I mean, Bloom County as a place supposed to be a small midwest town i think it's probably based on iowa city or something from what i was reading Mm -hmm. um it's very rural um i think it's very conservative i mean in a way (laughs) it sounds like this paper this newspaper comic strip the 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 setting of it seems a little semi-reflective of where you were is that a fair statement to make uh yeah i think so i never really thought about it like that but yeah that seems accurate Oh, God, because this was in the paper every day. I mean, I, I was following Bloom County from before an age I would have even understood the concept of politics. I mean, I I think I came to Bloom County the way that I think a lot of people know it best. I came for Opus, the Penguin, sure. Bill the Cat, a Garfield parody. I came for the Funny Animals, yeah. which I, I, I feel like. And that's what drew me to it, too. I, I was introduced to it. I mean, like I said, I probably had an inkling of it in the newspaper, but I really was introduced to it. Um, in these things that are known as bookstores. Uh, mm-hmm. Whenever we went to the mall, I would go to the bookstore and beeline it to the uh, cartoon comic strip collection area, which was huge. Be the humor section? The humor, yes. Yeah. Um, and it, oh, my God. The humor section in the bookstore was amazing I loved then. it. I would spend hours in there if I could. Um, and luckily... My mom was happy to buy me the the things that I discovered there. And that's where I discovered Bloom County <clears throat> uh, as something that I knew I would enjoy. 
and I, and like you, was it still being published at the time? Um, like when was this? That I don't think it was. I think it. it had just ended because the first book I got was Classics of Western Literature, which came out uh, the year or maybe the year after the, it ended its syndication. Oh wow! So you you were unaware of it the whole time through. You were getting into high school by the time you would have been reading. Yeah, it. and I mean, like I said, I probably did have some inkling of it, but it wasn't a day daily thing for me. Uh, until I so got what, the, what, uh, what the collection. You, what drew you to this first collection? What, how did you come across it? Because I, I would love to talk about humor sections in bookstores for a minute, but I'm just curious what... So people who don't know in bookstores, they <laughs> divide the shelves up where books were placed by different groupings. You have your crime fiction, you have your recent arrivals, children. Uh, for me, I always split my time between the New Age, because that's where UFOs and Loch Ness Monsters and Ghost Books were, and that was usually a tiny section, oftentimes right next to the humor section which was chock full of fucking comic strips so what so that's and i think there were also probably other novels there but it was like a lot of cracked collections mad collections knock knock jokes and just so many yeah collections of comic strips what brought you to the humor section and then what brought you to bloom county well well i was brought to the humor section just because of what you described there's so many comic strip collections and not not joke books and and just silly things and i enjoyed was there that. something you were looking for like i know garfield is the first thing that ever got me to the humor section yes uh garfield my brother uh more than myself uh really enjoyed garfield and he actually had garfield collections and so uh, we would go and we would we would look through the Garfield collections. But what's great is that while you're sitting there looking through Garfield collections, there's all these other binders and colors. You get the the spines that are all orange and reds and yellows and blues, um, and just bright. And the, I love the boldness of the art. Um, I uh, I was always drawn to comic strips more than comic books. Um, certainly, I appreciate and love comic book art. It's it's awesome, but there's just something about black and white and then thick lines and just the simplicity sure. of of it that still really um, tells a story and, and gives you a, a, an emotional uh, hit just just with simple lines. It always drew me, um, and so yeah, that's why I would go to the humor section. And I think I was drawn to. Uh, classics of western literature because it, it's a larger book it was larger mm-hmm. than anything else there maybe if there were probably some calvin and Hobbes books that were just as big uh but this was a big thick book and uh if the cover was showing i can't recall if i just saw the spine or if the cover was turned out the cover if you're unfamiliar with it is uh sort of a color more artistic than than your daily strip uh picture of opus um, smiling and hugging a book called Antarctic hmm. Dreams. And just that, the idea of that uh, just drew me into it. And then you open it up and you're immediately just drawn to the art. And the, the art is just off the wall. There's, it's so good and it's, uh, it's so unexpected compared to the things, like I said, that I was looking at. Peanuts, High and Lois, Beetle Bailey. It's just all this sort of straightforward, here's a person standing and talking, here's a person sitting, here's a person outside. You look, you know, I opened up this book and it's like, oh, here's a person outside in a dandelion field with some sort of crazy cat in the background running. (laughs) There's a guy in a wheelchair and some sort of rocket helmet and another guy smoking a cigarette. And I'm just like, what is going on? And so yeah, I was absolutely drawn into this. Probably sat there and read through it, and somehow convinced my mom to to buy it for me. So you're again, you're probably what 14 years old at this I point, would say so like 1990. Yeah, 16 maybe. Oh real? Wow, you got into this so late. So it actually might have been more relevant to you because I'm thinking Bloom County. Like you know, you see the cover. I'm just Bloom County, and we'll get into it in a minute. Is a, is a very politically minded social commentary strip. Um, which is not what I was expecting when I started because I didn't know those things. But for you at this age then, you saw the cover. I guess you were intrigued by the artwork. What did you make of it as you started reading it? Well, I probably went through a similar process that you did, but whereas you maybe went through it over years of time of of reading it, I went through it over a few months because when I first started reading it, um, the, the thing that I reacted to first was... Uh, like you said, the animals talking um, and the silliness of it. It's, it's mm-hmm. funny. As much as we keep saying it's, it's political, um, it's not like boring political. It is hilarious. 
it is funny and the jokes and and for me like it wasn't always uh the satire of it and the the talking and referring to uh politicians and things they were there and i understood that but the actual jokes were silly and uh so i think that's like what first drew me to it was the the silly humor that was the thing i probably related to quickest and easiest and then yeah as the years went on or as the months went on as i got to know it more um yeah the the clear uh political statements and social statements uh abounded and sort of taught me and got me interested in a way to those things you know it's like made me more familiar with them than i probably would have been just watching the news at night or something I, I would agree. And again, I was, I mean, I was reading Bloom County went, while it was coming out. Um, I got into Bloom County the way I got into comic books, the way I got into Aerosmith, the way I got into so many things as a child. My, um, my brother, my older brother, Mark, was a huge fan of Bloom County. He was a huge fan of comic strips and comic books. And so he's two years older than me, and he was the kind of brother that would just introduce me to things. You know, I have such a vivid memory of being, I guess I, I had to be five because of where we were living and him, you know, waving me into his room. I mean, I'm probably over dramatizing in my mind one night and I came in, you know, it was before bedtime and he pulled out this milk crate of comic books and he was pulling them out and he was saying, all right, so that's Superman and that's Batman. He pulled out another one and said, that's Captain America. He's in a different universe. And he just was educating me on these characters. And so I looked at these things as this, my older brother was granting me knowledge. These things must be important. So when I stumbled into his room one day and I saw the Bloom County collection, I think it's the first one. I don't know if it's called Loose Tales or Tunes for Our Times. It's it's the only one that's the like normally they're book size, like tall. Mm-hmm. The very first collection was long. I think it could have like two strips per page. So it looked kind of like the Garfield books I was getting. And yeah. I saw this in his room and I flipped through it. And like I think you said, I noticed, I think the thing that drew me into it uh, alongside the fact that this is in my brother's room, it's a comic book, it's not Garfield, or comic strip, it's not Garfield, so it must be important. I was drawn immediately into the ensemble. Because, yeah, there's a penguin who talks. I like funny animals. They looked a little bit like Snoopy, so I like that. There's Bill the Cat, which is this nightmarish bastardization of Garfield, making fun of Garfield. There's a rabbit named uh, Hodgepodge, uh, some animal named Portnoy, unless I just flip-flopped those names. No, you got them um, right. You know, there were just other... There was a bear that disappears uh, as the strip goes on, but there were all these cartoon characters there, and I was I was very drawn to that because I liked funny animals. You know, as I got older, the Ninja Turtles and books like that would also draw me. So this ensemble of characters seemed fascinating to me, and as I began reading it and picking up on the personalities, the human characters started coming into it. You have Milo Bloom, who's kind of like a young Alex P. Keaton Republican-like character who sort of almost seems like he runs the county, even though he's probably only 10 years old. There was Steve Dallas, who, similar to you, had the, you know, you mentioned seeing the character smoking. He had a cigarette. He was supposed to be the cool character. I think he's actually a parody of douchebag uh, Republican yuppies of the time. Mm -hmm. But in reading it, I always thought that guy's cool because he has sunglasses. (laughs) There's Cutter John, who was probably the first time I saw someone in a wheelchair in a strip that it wasn't always about them being in a wheelchair. He's a Vietnam vet. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's storylines that work around him not having legs that work. But he was a character who participated. And this sounds so close-minded to say, but... A character with a handicapped who wasn't just about the handicapped. I feel like on sitcoms I would watch, you'd have the episode where someone's in a wheelchair. You'd have the episode where somebody has cerebral palsy or something. And that's what the episode was about. So you wouldn't think of these people as real people. They were lessons. But here you had a character in a wheelchair interacting with all these other characters, talking about things like Star Trek and Star Wars and things I understood. So I embraced that and I just enjoyed the design that it's another you know, they're all different looking characters. And then what I finally found, and I think one of the major selling points to me of Bloom County, and before I got into the politics, I got into this, is there's a character in the comic strip called Binkley. I think it's Michael Binkley is his name. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's a eight, eight or nine year old character. I always kind of felt like he was Opus's owner. I think they kind of lived together in the same room. He lived with his single dad. He had this orange shock of frantic hair. And he was... Um, he was this neurotic character. You know, he's probably one of the main characters second after Milo Bloom, but he was always nervous. You know, he was nervous about the world. He was nervous about the prospect of nuclear war. He was nervous about socially interacting. And he had this whole storyline of an anxiety closet. Love it. He was this character. Yeah. And you'd see these comic strips. Yeah. I remember the first time he's in bed, the closet peeks open and this, 
purple, I think it's a giant, I know it is because <laughs> I looked it up, a giant purple snorkel whacker is the name of the creature. And it's just this monster looking thing that leans out of the closet, the anxiety closet, which is his main closet in the bedroom, and come out at night. And they would have these conversations about what Binkley was afraid of. And this resonated to me on so many levels. Yeah. You know, the first being this idea of a monster in the closet. You know, my very first nightmare I ever had, and I was under five because of where we were living, was this idea that uh, there was a monster hiding in our house. And it was Beauregard. It was one of the larger Muppets is what it was in my dream. But I remember in the dream throughout the day, my parents were like, there's a monster in the house, but we can't find it. And then I remember just that night, it showed up next to my bed and growled and and leapt for me. And I woke up and I was terrified with this idea that things could be in the room. And I don't know if this is why they got it, but shortly after that, my parents uh, brought home from the library a book called There's a Nightmare in My Closet by Mercer Mayer. It's an old book about a kid who has this creature, this monster, this beast living in his closet. And and it's very similar to the Binkley story. The creature comes out and they end up having a nice relationship. And, you know, it's meant to teach kids, you know, don't be afraid of the closet. There's, There's nothing scary in the closet. It's just nighttime. But that was a continuing lesson for me about the terrors of night, this idea of a creature, and then to have it somehow come out and be relatable made the Binkley story, it resonated with me because I had a similar feeling of what if there is something in my closet or under the bed? How would I rationalize with it? So that drew me to that character, as did his freeform nighttime anxiety because I had a lot of that as a kid. I was up a lot at night just thinking about things I didn't understand. You know, if I saw something on TV about poverty or homelessness or, or you know, again, this, this prospect of nuclear war and annihilation, all these things that I couldn't understand at such a young age, but they would play around in my head. You know, I would struggle with those, those fears. I'd also struggle with fears about, you know, like the Burt Reynolds, Sally Field breakup or aspects of the Star Wars saga. You know, these things that were in the comic strip reflected my own anxiety and talking with this monster. I mean, this is something I do to this day with all these relaxation and, and like uh, anxiety reducing the practices I've learned in therapy of communicating with these fictional creatures as, as a way of talking our way out. So Binkley, the moment I grasped onto that character, I grasped onto the strip because I'm like, that's the life I want. He gets to talk to funny animals <laughs> and he gets to acknowledge. I don't know if I had processed this entirely. I think this came later in life, but he's acknowledging his anxieties without solving them. So in that sense, before the political commentary, before, before the social commentary, Bloom County, and mainly his character Binkley, gave me an environment that I could inhabit that wasn't the cat box of Garfield, that wasn't the backyard with the dotted line of Family Circus. This was a comic strip that was a little risky. It wasn't good-natured. Yeah. You know, it wasn't always quirky and funny. And so I fell right into that when I found out it was still published. I would just read it every day in the comics, in the comic strips, because our paper, our liberal media did publish it in Lebanon, <laughs> Connecticut. That That's, yeah, that's great. I mean, that's, that's what's so great about it. It's like you get drawn to it because it's got these uh, talking animals, which is so unrealistic. Um, mm-hmm. But then it just, it's a very real strip. The, the topics that they have and the ideas and the concepts even the things that happened to hodgepodge portnoy opus um are very real i mean i remember opus had uh relationship issues when he was engaged to you know a, a human <laughs> a very attractive human woman um and uh, just lola granola. Yeah, lola granola and just his insecurities about it all were so real and and uh i, I don't know if i had the the wherewithal and the mindset to to understand that I was drawn to it because I was also insecure. Um, but I, you know, looking back at it now, that's clearly part of, part of the appeal um, for me. Uh, it's because there's, I think there's so much in the, each of the characters, each of the little characters have parts of your life. Um, yes. It's a really grumpy groundhog, but I can, I'm a really grumpy guy. Sometimes. Is that what, is that what Portnoy was? He was a groundhog. I, I didn't yeah, know I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure he was a groundhog. Um, yeah, I think there was just this uh, time where nobody really did know what he was, but at some point it just was established. But I, th- I think you're hitting exactly how you can get into a comic strip without knowing the politics. Is yeah, you're because they're animals, and I think the human characters I enjoy too, but the focus on these animal characters, similar to Tom and Jerry, Bugs Bunny, Donald Duck, all these things, because they're not real, you know, like we like animals, but you know, we were, I, at least I wasn't 
I didn't have a cat who could talk. I, I wasn't communicating with rabbits or anything like that. So when you have that in the strip, it becomes a barrier goes down immediately that you can just project yourself onto that. Yeah. You, you know, cause like to see Steve Dallas and see who was, you know, the human character and see him smoking and struggling with his sexual identity or even just something simple as he's trying to buy ice cream, but he can't, I'm not going to relate to that character cause I know what an adult is. I'm not an adult. You know, I related to Binkley because I felt we were similar in age, but to be able to project on these animals, I mean, I think that's why Bloom County versus some of the other strips would be appealing to me. The the comparison, the obvious comparison that's always made is to the comic strip uh, Doonesbury, which is this long running political strip by, uh, why am I forgetting, Gary Trudeau? Yes. Is that correct? Yes. And I mean, I remember it in my paper and honestly, some of the design work in Bloom County resembles Doonesbury. And I think there's been accusations of maybe Bloom County ripped off some of Doonesbury. Doonesbury has always been this very straightforward, political-minded comic strip that I never understood. I would even try to read it as a kid, but it was all human characters, you know, and then they were probably parodies of real characters. But I just wasn't drawn to it because these are adults talking. Yeah. You know, these and are adults as doing a, things. And as a kid reading Doonesbury, I couldn't tell who was who. You know, like it's long running. And, you know, by the time I was reading it in the the mid to late 80s, I guess it had been around for at least 10 years at that point because it started in the 70s. Right. Um, Yeah. much. I don't know much of the history. I know there was a musical of it in like 1980. So it had to be around for. Yeah. And so, you know, just returning characters. And to me, they all. Okay, this one looks exactly like that one, except he's bald. This one looks exactly like that one, except he has a mustache. But I still don't know who's who. So yeah, uh, that and the the the, uh, the the topics that they talked about uh, didn't interest me. Um, and I think yeah, Blue I County never started. It. You know, obviously you're going to be um, inspired by you know things that come before you and things that you like. And I think it did start that way. I think um, I remember reading that he did read. Uh, um, Doonesbury and was inspired by it. And if you go back and you look at the early stuff of Bloom County, there aren't any animal characters. It's just people uh, initially. Yeah, it's just my little <clears throat> grandfather or his uncle or something. Uh, yes, yeah. his uh, grandfather. Like you don't even meet his dad. I think Milo's dad comes in eventually. Um, and and yeah, so it's like you go back, you see that there's a clear influence there. But then it becomes its own thing. It becomes its own world. The, the animals are introduced, inanimate objects start talking, and then just the art style changes because it, it did start kind of just these talking heads sort of thing. And then it just grows and grows and grows and becomes this epic, uh, awesome tale. And it's and it's a serial too, you know? It's not like um, Beetle Bailey where it's just a gag a day. Uh, it's a storyline. Like, if even. Like, I think there were a few days where there was no gag <laughs> in Beetle Bailey. It was... Uh, Sarge, there's no tire on this car. And then there's a picture of a tree. I, but yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I was like uh, just scanning through these because I honestly, I haven't read these in, in a very long time. And so I was just kind of scanning through to, to refresh myself. And I caught, I just started reading in the middle of the book and caught myself reading through a story. And there is, and I can't imagine this being in the newspaper and how awesome that would have been. <laughs> to read a strip on Monday and get the payoff on Thursday or Friday. Like, I mean, there's still gags mm -hmm. in between, but oh my God, that, that setup on Monday is paid off Thursday and Friday. Like for me, it's like, I just a couple minutes and I get the payoff, but it's just so different than, than, than what was going on. I mean, Doonesbury, I guess was serialized and there are other dramatic comic strips, uh, uh, Rex Morgan, yeah, you know that that are serialized, but but this was a a, a, a humor strip uh, serialized, and that was new to me at that time. Yeah, I mean there were I think a couple strips did it. Maybe it was that like I know Peanuts would sometimes do a, a week long story, two week long story. Garfield might have a gag. Calvin and Hobbes did it, but it's yeah, it's, Calvin and Hobbes. It does speak to Bloom County and to the medium that. This was a strip that, I mean, you can follow it in the books. You know, when you get a collection, you, you go through it and there's a whole storyline. But this was a comic strip that people read every day. So you would you were able to maintain that continuity. I don't think of it now because I don't look at the comics every day. Not that the comics are as big as they used to be. But if I find a paper, I might flip through and I might just see what. I'm trying to think of a comic strip I'd even look to. Mother Goose and Grimm because I know you've mentioned that before. And it's out of sequence because I'm just reading one. But yeah, back then it was... 
it was like a, the dumb phrase appointment TV, but it's like people read this comics every day. So you had this sense of, of the ongoing story. You had it over the course of the weeks and you would have it years down the line. I mean, there were plot points and development points that would not be explained to you each time they came up. Opus is looking for his mother. There was a period where Donald Trump's brain was implanted in Bill the Cat's body. And that just, and there was a time I think where Stephen Dallas somehow was turned into like a peace loving, like the total opposite character. And he had like a, like a Jerry curl Afro or yeah, something. Yeah, he was, so uh, there were, uh, it, aliens mushed his brain. Is that what, yeah. Okay. So it was just like, the, it wasn't, it didn't return to the status quo constantly. It just kept growing. And I think that was very addictive. This is why I followed it every day. Like I enjoyed reading it in the books, but by 1986 or 87, I was following it in the papers as well daily. So I don't know. There was something, there was an immediacy to that that was exciting. And there was this idea that it was commenting on the immediate moment. It was in a newspaper. And as a kid, I realized the newspaper, these are articles of what happened yesterday. The comic strip somehow had to turn around to comment close enough. Obviously, you would never get a comment on something that happened the day before. I don't know what the window of putting them together was, but there was always a sense of relative immediacy in these comic strips that they were referencing or he had the foresight to put references into something that would be happening at that time, which made it seem very, very real. That's a great way for humor. It's a great way for I guess what you're, you're, you're getting at, which I didn't think about, is like that's good storytelling. And Bloom County did tell character arcs and storylines yeah. amidst all of, its, all of its humor. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and they're, they're memorable ones too. Like I remember, I mean, it's, it's different because I, I read it in the books as opposed to the paper. But I mean, my favorite like arcs were like, uh, the Mary Kay Commandos when he goes to when Opus goes to search for his mom and and really it's telling it's it's more a story about uh, testing on animals and cosmetics and and things and and what's like that's one that I I happened upon last night it's just so powerful it, it's a story about Opus and his mom which is a powerful little story but then it's also the reality of Opus discovering that animals are tested on. And the this drawing style, he drew all the animals like uh, Disney characters. Like it's basically Thumper. He drew Thumper. Uh, yeah, that's a hard strip. Yeah, me. it is. But then it's also sort of ridiculously silly in that then there's these Mary Kay commandos, you know, that come in. Yeah. So you've got your 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 hard lesson about uh, animal testing, and then it's got that silly twist that. Mary Kay and her commandos are going to fight for that. And then you have a, a like an ACLU sort of terrorist organization coming in to rescue them. And when they rescued Opus, uh, they took him back to his natural habitat, which was the ice bin in front of a convenience store. You know, so <laughs> so it just it's just just so many levels of 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 information and stuff. And I'm actually kind of excited to go back and rediscover it because it's going to mean so much more to me now. Like last night, uh, you're talking about Binkley uh, and how he resonated with you. Um, I'm rereading it. And now as a dad, <laughs> finding a, a really stronger connection with Binkley's dad, having to put up with uh, Binkley's insecurities and anxieties. I have a daughter who I absolutely love and she's scared of everything. Um, and I, I wouldn't have, I didn't have that connection, obviously, back then when I was a teenager reading this. But now I'm reading his thing, and uh, I'm so drawn to this character now. I want to read more with with his strips because I remember he was just a frustrated dad when I was a kid. That's how I saw him. But now he's like a frustrated dad who's trying to do right by his kid, and having to deal with these things that that his kid is more grown up and more aware of, of these things in the world than maybe he was as a kid. And so that's a, that's a new angle for me, a new level to this, this strip, which I absolutely uh, continue to adore. It's amazing that it can resonate through time like that. I mean, like you're saying, like that is not a point of reference you would have had 20 years ago, 30 years yeah. ago to, to really put a date on it. To go back for a minute to the Mary Kay um, storyline, the Mary Kay Commandos, one of the things I think as a kid, and this is when I started realizing that it was more than just funny animals, I, Bloom County was a very powerful device. It was a very powerful 
comic device, literary device. And I think I learned a lot from that. I mean, the Mary Kay Commandos storyline, quite easily and probably almost anywhere else, they would have made up a name like, this is Carrie Mays, or right. you know, something to avoid litigation. Right. He called out Mary Kay, yeah. an actual cosmetic giant with a legal backing. He used his satirical parody comic strip as a way of calling them out by name. And he did this a lot with Donald Trump, with politicians' names I didn't know, with George Lucas, again, because I keep thinking of this one same strip. Like he, he called, he used his strip to call out hypocrisy, to call out evil. He made a point, and this is what political satire is, I'm sure, of taking on the dominant class, the powerful class, the, 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 you know, and at the same time, while doing it, he has sort of a two-faced duality to his own self-righteousness. Like the characters who often took these stances, Opus and Binkley and Milo, had their own flaws. They were oftentimes part of the very social circle they were attacking. Right. So there was just a very, and again, it was my introduction to liberal comedy, liberal-minded, but it was also just, it taught me that you can take on the bigger powers. You can mock the bigger powers, that's your biggest strength, and to acknowledge that you're part of the problem. I mean, these characters were all also part of the problems that came to Bloom County, and and I think it was very, I don't know, I think that's where the characters come up. Uh, like, Bloom County, I became aware of around the same time I became aware of Saturday Night Live, so mid-'80s. Saturday Night Live did a version of all of this. They did their sketches that were political sketches. They did Weekend Update. You know, so there was a similar mindset there, I think what was different was Saturday Night Live I went to because he, you know, it's a comedy show and these are the comedians I like, God, I love Phil Hartman, you know, God, I love Nora Dunn at the time I was watching it. So I tuned in to see what were they going to do and they would do their impressions of people and sketches and they were funny and they'd make their points, you know, or Dennis Miller as Dennis Miller would do the news and you would get that. But they were performers playing characters and it worked and there's some brilliant sketches. I think from 85 to 88 was my heyday for Saturday Night Live. In Bloom County, the characters in these situations were always the characters. You know, they're drawings, but it wasn't like, and now Phil Hartman's going to play the neurotic dad. It was like, we had the neurotic dad. We had the penguin with the big heart. Like So the characters, like for Opus, like you were just saying, for that comic strip to take on Mary Kay, that could have been a very comical just satire or parody of like war movies or something but it was really about a real character we cared about trying to find his mother amidst this bigger political attack you know on or, or social attack on, on on animal abuse i think that's a big cause that berkeley brethren is behind is is, is animal yeah. rights so that was probably the biggest influence that this comic strip gave me you know that the importance of the ensemble and also just the ability that you can make fun of, you know, like mystery science theater did a similar thing. You can make fun of anything. You can mock it, you know, and you can lob every reference you got. I mean, like Bloom County, I'm sure similar to mystery science theater. I was reading names. I didn't understand. I was hearing about, uh, peace accords and political events that I didn't get, but the rhythm was there. The characters I could always relate to. And I I was aware that, well, something is up. Something is amiss. This is what he's talking about. And it made me at least a little more curious. I don't think I, I, I sought out the news. Like I definitely wasn't educating myself on say the Iran Contra scandal because of the comic strip, but I read about it through the comic strip. So it was, you know, it wasn't the entryway that I stepped through, but it definitely opened the door to my being aware of the world and through probably the best tool of that. Nowadays we have it with the daily show and things like right. that comedy and satire, right. which I, I just, and it's amazing to think that I was a kid who was 10, 11 and 12 reading satire, not always getting it, but when I did get yeah. it, when it did impact me, I mean, that's kind of, that's, that's mind blowing, I think. And, and I'm projecting onto you. So correct me the moment I'm wrong as a piece of, art the idea of cartooning you know that berkeley brethren was doing the idea of, of these characters you're a cartoonist you do uh, my exaggerated life it's a comic you did when i knew you in college you were doing another comic strip i've always felt and then this would be if this is true please elaborate because it's not going to make any sense me saying was bloom county a major influence on you as a cartoonist oh absolutely um and and i you're so kind to refer to me as a cartoonist um <laughs> I mean, this is sort of a, a struggle of mine in a, in a lot of ways because, uh, well, not cartooning so much as 
as this identity of being a cartoonist. If if I had my my druthers, if I if I could go back and change anything, I would go back and redirect my path to actually try to become a cartoonist, uh, like a known successful. This is what I do. I draw comic strips. That's that's what I wanted to do. And Bloom County, uh, I call them the uh, the Holy Trinity. Bloom County. Calvin and Hobbes and the far side were my life wow. uh, for, yeah. for many, many years. Um, I was the nerd. I was the far side nerd that uh, would dare people to cover up the far side uh, caption underneath the square. And I would <laughs> just open this book randomly, cover it up, and I would repeat word for word what the caption was. I couldn't do that now, but I could do it then. And, and, you know, people would try and cover up one that didn't have a caption and I would call them on that. There's no caption there. Um, so yeah, I, I, uh, this is one of my great regrets, which I'm trying to, uh, to change. I, yeah, Bloom County, huge influence on me. Um, how so? Like, what, what was it? Well, well, talk about the art. Like, I'm, I'm watching, I was, again, looking through it. And, and the one thing that really stood out, uh, re-looking at it today, that I was even aware of then, was that there's so much um, fluidity and motion and action in these Bloom County strips. You know, you don't get that so much in the far side. And you get it a lot in, in uh, Calvin and Hobbes, too. But, like, for me, <laughs> reading Bloom County in a way is like watching a TV show because a, you've got the serialized stories, you've got these storylines and arcs, but from, from panel to panel, there's action, whether they're walking through a room or having a tussle or this hilarious, uh, I, I can't find it now, but there's just this hilarious visual of there was uh, a storyline where they found a snake or what they thought was a snake in the swimming hole. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so there's just all this action of them trying to catch the snake and beat the snake. And there's this one where Opus is sitting in the first panel. He's sitting kind of on a rock or on a lily pad in the swimming hole, holding a stick that he was obviously going to use to beat. But he's just sitting there looking defeated. And there's a narration. So there's a narration word saying uh, you know, something about the excitement and the, the horror of this search, this hunt. In the next panel... He's a little lower. So he's starting to sink in the water, still not moving, but just a little <laughs> wa- lower as the dramatic narration continues. Uh, and he's looking down in the third panel. He's d- sunk up to his eyes and his eyes. And this is another thing we should talk about. Um, his eyes are looking at us. So he's turned and yes. he's looking at us <laughs> sinking and then in the last panel, it's just like a bubble and a ripple in the water as the dramatic narration ends. And it's so hilarious. That was a that's that's animation in four panels. It's yeah, animation and it true. worked and it was so good. Um, and I <laughs> tried to strive for that in my art. Like I tried to to like if we were to go back and look at all the cartoons and, and things. Um, and this is actually a good segue to what I was just referring to about how we look to the audience. Um, I think one of my favorite cartoons that I created, uh, comic strips that I created. So yeah, I did stuff in high school. Uh, we had a newspaper and I would do like far side type stuff for, uh, the newspaper. And then I would draw, we had a, <clears throat> remember hyena, the humor magazine in, at Emerson. Um, I submitted some, some art to that and got one or two things in probably the one strip that I created that was most influenced by Bloom County. I mean, I think I'm influenced by Bloom County in general, but the one that was most influenced is I created a strip of talking animals uh, called All Boxed In, which was about talking mm-hmm. animals that star in a comic strip. And actually, they are out of work talking animals uh, that don't have comic strips anymore. So I had a cow that used to be in the far side. Um, I had a a dog that kind of looked like Snoopy, but was a lot angrier. It was like the antithesis to Snoopy. Um, so, I mean, it's exactly this. You've got the Garfield antithesis. Um, <clears throat> you've got uh, Bloom County, which uh, we've hinted at just now, uh, was referential to itself as being a comic strip. Um, yeah, it broke it. There was a lot of fourth wall yeah. breaking in that, which I think was the other big draw. Comic strips probably did this a lot more anyways because you're working with captions. But that was another big draw. You're right. The narrator part, Opus being aware of us, commenting on the strips, talking to us, that 
as always, as it comes up in every show, that would hit me so hard as a kid. So that's great that you latched on to, to realizing that and was able to utilize that. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing where it's like you don't realize it as you're creating something where that came from necessarily. But I mean, clearly looking back now, that's that's where that was from. Um, so, yeah. Now, were you political at all? Did the politics of Bloom County, do you ever get political <laughs> in your own strips? I think you've had a couple with, you, with your most recent one that at least are acknowledging Trump and acknowledging yeah, the changes Yeah, there. I mean, uh, like I said, my, my big regret is that I haven't been able to put the focus on my my cartooning. Um, I feel like I've improved mm-hmm. over the years, um, but because it's been 30 years um, I could have improved. I, I feel bad that I wasn't doing this more and I could have approved in like a 10 year time span. I think now, like I feel really comfortable with my strip now. Um, I feel comfortable with the art now. I'm still trying to get it better, but like, because I haven't given it uh, a daily dedication, uh, it's taken this long to get to a point. And yes, um, before I, I never really got political in my, my strips. Um, my strips are always silly and fun and uh, situational. Um, like I like the idea all of which are aspects of Plum County. It is silly. True. Is true. Fun. Um, but you asked about the politics and I never really got into politics. I feel more comfortable now. And yes, I have kind of delved into, I mean, Trump, Trump will inspire you to, to react. And yeah, so I put some Trump stuff in, uh, in my <laughs> recent strip and I did it in a satirical way. Like Bloom County does. Um, I remember, uh, probably my favorite Bloom County storyline is when uh, Oliver, the the smart character, the smart kid character, uh, develops a hair tonic that just <laughs> makes hair grow immediately. And so it became uh, a drug. It was a drug thing. And so the whole storyline was about all these men going to lengths to buy this hair tonic and them selling it. And then it gets banned by the FDA, and so they've got a. It's now illegal. So now they're selling an illegal drug, and there's <laughs> money laundering and and transportation. I remember this great panel. It's like one full long panel. So it's not four panels. It's just one full long panel of uh, a narrator again talking about how the FDA is pulling out and the FBI pulling out all the stops to stop this trafficking of this hair tonic. And it shows them in a speedboat and guns and everything and Opus in a little rowboat next to them with <laughs> underneath this little like net carrying all the, the hair tonic as he paddles by. And they're just like zooming past him looking for these drug traffickers. And um, and so I did the same thing uh, recently in this trip. And, and I welcome people. We'll, we'll give the, the link. I welcome people to check it out. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I did this thing where... We have a bully at my kids that the characters are my kids in the strip. A bully at the school wins the uh, the school presidency. And so I just kind of twisted it, did a little satire with it. And so I don't have Trump like like Bloom uh, County would. It's not the actual character. I've, I, I didn't feel comfortable going that way. But I've taking uh, taking the real world and kind of turning it into something for this strip. Which is such a powerful, I mean, that is what, and again, I don't read comic strips now. I imagine they must still be doing the same thing. But even something as simplistic in comic strips like Rose's Rose or, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's other ones. That is a powerful aspect of these strips because not that they're disposable. They're daily. I'm, I'm trying to think what I was saying. Like because there's so many of them, they come out so quickly. You got them every day and they're a confined space. Yeah, you can just twist whatever is going on in the moment just through that quick filter of something. Like for your case, your children, and you find a way to express yourself that isn't that works as entertainment. It isn't kind of like beating someone over the head. Like all of us want to and should open our windows and scream out, you know, who voted? Which one of you voted for this douchebag who just told the world to fuck America because we're going to fuck the earth? I mean, that's what we want to do. And that's what we've been doing. And I guess that's what Facebook is for and Twitter is for and living in liberal communities where everybody agrees with you and can all just high five are for. But to be able to take that anger or that tension or that stress or that acknowledgement that the world blows so much and filter it into something that is also entertaining, that has a little joke, that isn't necessarily reaffirming, but it's an easier way to share. It's it's Before we were recording the show, we were talking about a little bit about this difficulty about being positive, you know, about trying to put on a positive spin. And 
that's not necessarily what this is, but I think the power of comic strips, Bloom County, yours with the example you're talking about, is that, yes, you can filter the worst experience, uh, thought process, uh, treaties, whatever your belief system is. You can filter it through the mouth of a talking penguin or through the concept of a elementary school uh, election, and you can make it entertaining and laughable and still still vent you know these uh, the berkeley breathed breathed who you know I've, I've only heard one or two interviews with i was listening to one last night i don't know him i'm assuming i know his politics <laughs> but like he must have vented so much with the disgust of the 80s he must have hated the 80s so much to create something like bloom county and yet how embraceable and emotional and sentimental is that strip he's created sort of a not a safety space or something, you know, it, it, but it's just within the 80s, he found a way to cope. And that coping brings warm feelings, you know, brings nostalgia. This is similar to, 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 to your strip. I mean, it's about it's a from what I've read of your strip. It's a family strip. It's about raising kids, not political in my mind. But to put that in there, obviously, it's something you're dealing with. Kids deal with it. And you found a way to at the very least, at the very least, just unload for a second and approach the topic. Yeah. <clears throat> no one's going to read that strip and not say, wait, what, what do you mean it's about Donald Trump? But you're also not, again, you're not hitting us in the head with a big, dumb, orange hairpiece. You're, you're, so it's it's amazing. And, more, and I guess because it's cartooning, cartoons are abstracts, it works. And it's endearing. And, and you have the characters of your strip, the same as Bloom County. You have a core ensemble that you already care about. So you're able to do these ludicrous and ridiculous little, right? You you can take you you, you can take the elements that you're familiar with with the strip and and work those into uh, getting your emotional things out and talk about using Bloom County as as a coping mechanism. Uh, Bloom County's back. Yeah, I was surprised to yeah. find that out, and it's been back for two years almost. Yeah, and and it's back because What's because uh, Brethed uh, needed to cope with donald trump um that that was yeah. part uh, he you know he hasn't really come out and said this is why but he did say i cannot deny that he played a part in me wanting to to come back and and yeah they started out those initial strips uh really getting into uh donald trump and and the politics of the time this was before he was elected um so uh, yeah, it's back. It's uh, it's in my Facebook. Back on Facebook? Is that where it is? I get it on yeah, Facebook. I think it's also collected on on a on a one of the syndication sites. Uh, and I think there's also okay. a collection out, which I don't have yet, but uh, I, I hope mm-hmm. to get. Um, and it's not it's not daily, right? It's whenever he feels. The yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I think it's almost daily, and it's also great too because because it's not a strip. You can have a giant you know, full color art, you know, piece, then you can have a strip, uh, that's four panels, but then you can have like a Sunday strip, but it's still just black and white. And then you can have, uh, a strip that's black and white with shots of color here. Like he's being very free and open with it. And I think it's kind of great. I'll be honest. I haven't followed it as much. Um, and, uh, haven't found the time to, to keep up with it. But when I do read it, it, it's still your favorite characters and it, it still has that great feel. Um, so yeah, and he brought it back to cope. And so, uh, good for him and, and thank you. Cause it's, it's going to help right. a lot of people, I think. Well, and I think this is probably a good way to wrap this up a bit. It is odd because to a degree, unlike the far side, unlike Calvin and Hobbes, unlike peanuts, like all of these peanuts that I didn't say did that just right? fine. Okay. Charles Schultz's Cox. Um, Unlike those, I mean, Bloom County did end in 1989, and I remember it so well because it was announced and it was so heartbreaking. It ended. It had its last strip and it was done. Do you remember who ended it? it, it the storyline that ended it was, you referred to it earlier, Bill the Cat had Donald Trump's brain inserted into his head and he bought out the comic strip and fired everybody. That's right. And they all got different yeah. jobs. And it was it was heartbreaking. I remember as a kid, or, or emotional. It was like, this is over. But 
the characters have always come back because shortly after that he launched a Sunday only strip called mm-hmm. Outland and that ran for some years and it was sort of it was Opus and this character Ronald yeah. Ann I think in this sort of surreal setting and that eventually moved back to Bloom County then he did a comic strip called Opus for a while and I, I didn't follow those. I didn't follow Outland. I didn't follow Opus. That's probably how I missed this new Bloom County I kept up with out. Outland. I, I have all the Outland collections. Is it good? Is it enjoyable? It's more of a surreal Bloom County, basically. It's, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a lot of the same characters. Steve Dallas comes back. Uh, the cockroach that was in Bloom County is in it a lot. Um, it's got that really famous um, strip where where Ronald Ann, it wasn't Ronald Ann, it was another female character, talks about how obnoxious the men are and they should really take a moment and, and, and look at the thing that, that makes them who they are. And there's a beat, and then they uh, all open up their underwear and look down. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, very, it's got the same kind of feel as Bloom County, I think. Early on, it was more surreal because Outland was like this weird mythical place, but like you say, it eventually kind of comes back to uh, the Bloom County environment. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of it ending to, and I think we've, we talked about this a little bit, like with friends when friends ended. And I think it'll come up again as we talk about things from the past, Bloom County in retrospect to me will have always ended at the perfect time. Mm. You know, of course that comic strip could have kept going, but as we got into the nineties and hope started to prevail for a little bit, as we got the Clintons, as Republicans slid out of power a little bit, and then just for my own self, as I was getting older and more aware of the world, the viewpoints, the vantage point, and the, I don't want to say responsibility, but what Bloom County provided, I feel like, was commentary and solace from the 80s. And it, like many of these things we talk about, to me, it's, it's, it's a very precarious thing of its time that it was sad to see it go, but I didn't want to start reading Outland. I never followed Opus because once it was done, I'm like, well, that was an emotional investment. That was a lot to apply to something for that long in my life where I follow it every day, the feelings I have that it's over. Let it rest. You know, I probably won't read this new one. I've read two that I found online, but I probably won't follow that out either because it is so ingrained. Yeah with this period of my life and with this period of earth that when I go back to it now, cause I've um, about, geez, it's probably almost eight or nine years ago. Now they began re- releasing these beautiful, complete archive hardcover versions of Bloom County, starting from the very first strip going through the end. I have the first two and I have been reading those sporadically and it's, you know, a lot of them are strips I never saw because he would never publish all right. of them in the books. I guess there were too many yeah. to be published. But to go back through them, I mean, they are just, you know, they're they're exactly what nostalgia does. They're still entertaining, but they're also nostalgia. And they, they spark these moments, moments socially, moments of like, I remember where I was when I bought each of the collections because buying those was always a big deal. And I have a huge just emotional connection to Peanuts and always will. But I, I would imagine that Bloom County is probably my favorite comic strip of all time. And I'm I'm glad that it's bookended. I think Bloom County said everything it could about the 80s and the change, which it did. I didn't follow that change. So I'm happy to have it as this sort of reminder, encapsulation, and maybe even like a little bit like a badge of just where I was at in the mid to late 80s, which is such a bizarre time period now worldwide socially and, and yeah. politically yeah uh i agree with that absolutely it doesn't and um, i'm i i waver i go back and forth i like i like the idea like i have this vision of uh, uh bill waterston having continued to do calvin and Hobbes art not like every day oh, uh man. but just like i just <laughs> i i like the idea that maybe someday we'll discover like another uh, collections worth of, of strips, but but you're right. It it is better, I think, to have that that bookend, to have it have it end and and tell its story, and then move on and allow someone else to to do their thing. Great. Well, that's our Calvin and Hobbes episode. <laughs> we'll have to do that one now. But uh, this was good. I enjoy talking about books, especially when there's uh, drawings of penguins. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's got to have drawings. 
to be a comic strip. It does. You're right. Well, thank you for listening. That was the show for this week, 20th Century Popcast. Um, as always, please check us out at 20popcast.com. That's where new episodes go up, um, old episodes as well. You can stream them right there. If you'd like to subscribe to podcasts, we are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Google Play. I think we're on Blueberry or Burberry. Subscribe to us there. Every Thursday, a new episode will go up, so you won't have to seek it out. You'll have it right there in your headphones. You can, uh, what else can you do? You can always email us, get in touch with us, contact us at the Facebook page for 20th Century Popcast. It's in the show notes. Go there. You can email us at 20popcast at gmail.com, or you can go to 20popcast.com and just click on a little section called Pop Talk, type in a question, type in a comment, type in a, a, a possible topic you want us to talk about. That'll come right to us. And as for myself, if you have any interest in Tim Blevins, what he thinks, what he's doing, or, or, or why he's online, you can follow me on Twitter, at Subcultist. You can also follow my Instagram, which also works as an Instagram for the show. That is also at, at Subcultist on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at R.H. Canning. Uh, and if you are so inclined, you can check out the little comic I'm working on. Uh, at exaggeratedlife.wordpress.com and I gotta tell you Tim this topic uh, has inspired me to update that strip more often and to actually get to it so check it out people hold Bob to his word check him out every week on this site and when you see the same strip twice contact him at RH Canning um, on Twitter and tell him you need more because you are a cartoonist man you can't say that you're not you cartoon that's that's more so probably than even this podcast I feel like that's how you've always expressed yourself best so please people check it out but more so please Bob put them up that's what you need to do that's what we've done I think we're wrapping up this show at a pretty good even clip is there anything else you want to add towards the end I'm sure there's music oh uh, no I think I'm good I think I'm I'm really just uh, inspired so thank you for the topic right thank you Bob and thank you all for listening catch phrase <laughs>